This is essential. 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 This is essential audio. Normally, my my go-to answer um, would be to point to SMBs and how they've sort of gotten the hand-me-down digital services meant for consumers or corporates with a slightly adjusted interface and sort of that Goldilocks paradigm of um, not quite fitting them. That was Dan Van Dyke from Business Insider talking about the Goldilocks paradigm. I told you that was a way to think about SMBs. I should think of small businesses as psychopath little girls who break into people's homes and try their beds, chairs, and porridge? No, smart Alec. You should think of them trapped with services that are too big or too small, trying to get it to fit just right. Okay. So we are talking all about small business financial services today. But first, welcome to The Money Pot, our podcast at Money 2020. I am Rachel Morrissey, a content producer for Money 2020, and I'm here with Sanjeev Kalita, our editor-in-chief. So, Sanj, back to the Goldilocks paradigm. Yes. Small businesses have been the last group to get proper attention from banks and fintechs. They've been the Goldilocks. And the issues have been both exposed and exacerbated by the COVID pandemic. We wanted to do an episode about why they're so complicated, what's happening now, and what are they looking for. But we realized that it wasn't just one episode. So, like Barry Diller, who invented the TV miniseries in the 1970s, we're creating history by creating a three-part fintech miniseries about SMBs. It will have the drama of Shogun combined with the character complexity of Roots. Welcome to episode one. Sanj, you might want to think about decaf coffee tomorrow. And for all of the millennials out there, just think of it as season one of Game of Thrones. So, When we first started looking at small business banking, some of the challenges are pretty obvious and the others are not. The first is that SMB, small to medium businesses, covers an absurd amount of businesses. The first thing you ask is, what is a small business? And that's an interesting question, right? Because I think in the U.S., uh, small business as a category has been evolving significantly over the last seven to eight years, right? It still remains the single largest employer in the US as a category, right? And one on and on one end of the spectrum you have the classic small businesses, you know, think about the restaurants, the you know, the contractors, the smaller retailers, the physicians, the doctors' offices, right, the smaller manufacturers, right? And typically you would classify them as anybody who has who has sales between, you know, probably about half a million dollars to about a hundred million dollars, right? And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's this emerging class of players, right? Which are these individuals and non-incorporated businesses, right? Which have been enabled through marketplaces. So pretty broad definition, but essentially to quantify maybe anybody under a hundred million dollars. That is Puneet Dixit, partner at McKinsey. And his answer is a bit broader than others, but it might be the most accurate. Yes, The U.S., U.K., and Europe all determine your status by the number of employees you have. If you have fewer than 100 employees, you are a small business. If you have between 100 to 500 employees, you are a medium-sized enterprise. In Europe and the U.K., it's similar with small to medium enterprises having fewer than 250 employees. However, 
The cash flow for any organization isn't based only on the number of employees, and everyone from a gig economy YouTuber to a 90-person law firm would be under the umbrella. Small business accounts for over 99% of U.S. businesses. Which is also about the breadth of small business. We also spoke to Judy Renierson, a partner at k Gates, who has specialized in payments for over 20 years, about the resilience of small businesses even before the pandemic. There was, there was actually an interesting report that the New York Fed just issued in April of this year. They do an annual survey of small businesses about, like, how are you doing? Do you have enough credit? Do you have enough financing? And uh, one of the questions they ask is, you know, could you withstand a two-month loss of revenue? And a good percentage of them, and this, mind you, this was before COVID was in anyone's dreams. So they still had something like one in five companies saying, oh no, two months of revenue, that would probably, you know, end us. And so uh, you realize how, and that's even for healthy companies, for some of the more distressed companies, it's, this is a, uh, um, a significant soul-crushing event uh, for a lot of small businesses. You know, soul-crushing is right, both for small businesses and their employees. As the pandemic stretches on with waves and spikes of infections, small business has had to contend with the unstable nature of the economy. This is Panit again explaining what McKinsey has found in an ongoing bi-weekly survey. So we have seen the sentiment to be the lowest in sometime around March and April, and since then it has gradually been recovering. However, there are a few concerns that we still see in some of the more recent surveys. Right, the first one is that you know uh, most of uh, in in terms of general optimism for the economy, there's only 11% of small businesses that believe that the economy is going to uh, start looking you know really uh, much better by the end of this year. Right, so which is a fraction of the overall population. There's only two to five percent of small businesses that believe that they will invest in their business now to grow, right? And there's less than ten percent of businesses, smaller businesses, that are saying that they'll hire more people, right, or scale up their businesses beyond the scale that they currently have. So in general, the sentiment is stay, continues to stay muted, right, given the uncertainty in the uh, in the market, and that translates into obviously their desire to seek more lending, their desire to, you know. Uh, invest in their businesses, their desire to, you know, uh, bank digitally, you know, set up digital commerce platforms and things like that. So he brings up an important point at the end. Although the uncertainty of how to proceed with this pandemic has resulted in a lot of worry, it's also resulted in a lot of transformation. Puneet noticed four specific changes for small businesses during this time. One is, you know, there is a radical increase in digital participation. Right. And by that, I mean, you know, the willingness of small businesses to go and open their web stores or participate in digital marketplaces for restaurants going on Grubhub or Uber Eats. Right. Even the higher end restaurants, which are, you know, averse to doing so now going and, you know, uh, setting up shop on Caviar and you know other platforms. Uh, another example is Shopify saw 71 percent increase in, uh, you know, small business growth in the second year, the number of stores that set up shop on Shopify versus in the second quarter versus the first quarter. So just dramatic increase in digital participation is one of the things that we are seeing. So small businesses went to digital marketplaces and payments. 
They also went digital in offering services. I think the second is, you know, adoption of tools that enable them to offer more contactless and more remote services to their customers, right? So physicians, as an example, offering telemedicine, schools and, you know, smaller instructors and gyms, you know, offering remote classes, right? Uh, Barbershops offering appointment booking tools like Booksy and others, right? So that's just adoption of newer tools is the second big trend that we are seeing in the market across small businesses. Puneet also thinks that their hunger for credit opened them up to sharing a lot more data and information. And last but not least is that small businesses, which always seem more customer-centric, have learned the value of transparency for customer experience. I think the fourth is, uh, you know, uh, increased awareness of the options that they have in digital and the way that businesses are run differently in digital. So as an example, one of the things that small businesses have realized, you know, through by participating in digital is that it significantly increases transparency for the end consumer. So if I'm a restaurant that has set up shop on Grubhub, and I am delivering poor service that will show up fairly quickly on the, in the reviews, right? And similarly, if I'm a doctor that is now participating on ZogDoc, it will show fairly quickly in the reviews and it will impact my uh, ability to grow. So that has impacted the way they run their businesses where they are much more cons- consumer-centric, right? Much more, uh, you know, focused on service in general. So I found the last two particularly interesting because those are around evolving ideas behind alternate data for credit, and changing customer behaviors that are likely to stick. Once the pandemic subsides, it's not too hard to imagine customers wanting to shift back some habits to be non-digital, which would pull back the first two changes. The last two will persist even when there's a digital pullback. And because of that, they can fundamentally change how small businesses think about their finances, which then obviously has impact on their operations. We'll discuss more about the specific sectors that are driving small business recovery, and the technological forces behind that in episode two. Meanwhile, Puneet talked about how this would change how banks might address the small business market as well. So I think more broadly, the way banks need to think about this is that small businesses typically tend to engage with their providers as one-stop shops, right? And which is why the banks need to uh, you know, be present in journeys where small businesses are engaging in, engaging with, you know, these platforms or the banks need to, uh, and, and the banks need to also, you know, by the, uh, either by themselves or through partnerships with third parties, offer a range of financial services that those small businesses will need. Because if the banks don't offer it, that small business is going to go somewhere else. And, you know, if that someone else is a fintech, then that fintech is very likely to steal the share away from banks. I completely agree that small businesses think of a bank as a one-stop shop. I think they envision banking as encompassing all financial services and use the term interchangeably. In a small business, there isn't typically a finance department who thinks of banking, payments, credit, etc. as separately. So they naturally approach it more holistically. But before COVID, the Goldilocks paradigm was why small business finance innovation was the last piece to be addressed. And Panit had a suggestion for how larger banks could approach small business banking. For these larger organizations, a few things that they probably need to think about. One is how can they make their services more modular 
and the second is how can they integrate into journeys where small businesses are expecting to engage with them so if i as a small business want my bank to you know enable into it or my any kind of accounting software that i use to have real time access to my bank account then is the is my bank allowing me to do uh, do that right the second is if i want my bank to you know uh not just offer me my bank account or credit for my uh for running my business but also allow me to you know take a commercial mortgage then does my bank have a product to do that so this brings up a question has it always been as simple as this if larger banks had imagined their services more modularly and integrated with other services faster then serving small businesses would be simple and affordable um no there there was always tension between serving small businesses specific needs and the scale of the opportunity judy talked about this challenge when i spoke to her the difference is that small businesses are just as complex as large multinational businesses and the problem is is that they don't scale so you know give me let me give you an uh, easy example is remittances sending money across the border there are lots of very small remittances sometimes remittance companies that specialize in sending money to a, one or two countries they they're in a an area of of the town or the city where there's a big community from that country and um and and they have to deal and comply with the same laws that you know a western union has to comply with and they have to make sure they give all the same disclosures and similarly their bank has to do the same sort of background checks and monitoring transactions and a, a bank is willing to do that for a you know a large when there's a large volume and it's a large piece of business for the bank but it's it's a lot harder for a bank to justify the cost of compliance when it's a very small company without a a big volume of business well i think that the regulatory piece is premium here the banks had to account for scale in both transactions and regulatory costs The lack of finesse that the regulatory environment created made the cost of servicing small businesses reasonably incredibly difficult. As banks adopt more reg tech to address compliance issues, those costs will go down and fintechs and banks will continue to lower the cost so scale isn't as vital to the cost of service. And not only is it a case where small businesses can now be served profitably at lower scales because of technology, But small businesses have become a more important part of the economy overall. For example, while we might all think of Amazon purchases coming from an Amazon warehouse, from Amazon inventory and being delivered by Amazon employees, in many cases it's a small business using Amazon's third-party platform and services to market, store and deliver their products. As marketplaces and platforms become more important, Small businesses are an integral part of this trend. And as Panit said earlier, entering these third-party marketplaces has been key to the resilience of small businesses during this crisis. So Judy explains that not only are small businesses vital to the economy, but they're vital to the health of financial services as well. Small businesses don't survive without banking. Bankings don't banks don't survive without small businesses and fintechs are often in the space to help make it work so that these three areas 
they are, I think, integrally linked. And, and in fact, you know, I predict that there's going to be a, a growth in that one little space, fintech, small business, and banking. And like all miniseries, we end this episode on a cliffhanger. We have an amazing opportunity for growth. We have millions of underserved small business customers. And we have the shining night of technology on the horizon, ready to save the day. What happens next? I can hardly wait. Me too. We want to thank Judy Reinerson, Dan Van Dyke, and Panit Dixit for their valuable time and expertise. And you'll hear more from them in the next episode, Sleeping Beauty Awakens. <laughs> We're having way too much fun with fairy tales on this arc. <laughs> when you have a theme, you just go all out. We also want to thank Roland Boddenham, our producer, who is wondering how he got the title of Dark Lord. Thank you for listening. If you have any suggestions for episodes, please send them to podcast at money2020.com. Till next time. This is Essential. 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 This is Essential Audio.